the European Patent Office podcasts bring you an insight into the technology and innovation shaping the world. Hello again, it's Nigel Clark here, and I'm really pleased to be here to introduce the next in our podcast series, Talk Innovation. And our guest today is Stefan Lumino, who is an examiner in Munich, and his field is manipulators and robotics. But before we come on to that, uh, Stefan, would you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the field of robotics and manipulators in the EPO? Yes, thank you, Nigel. Um, Well, first, I would like uh, to thank you and say that I'm very glad to have this opportunity today to give you an insight into my technical field. I'm a French examiner. I studied uh, mechanical engineering in France and in Germany with uh, quite a broad technical uh, scope. And I was recruited uh, by the EPO uh, just after my studies in 1999, so 21 years ago. I started after just after a few months, I, I was given the opportunity to work in the field of manipulators. The field of manipulator, uh, it's difficult to explain what, what it is. Usually when people ask me in which field I work, especially outside the office, I just say robotics. But actually there is a difference between uh, manipulators and robots. Maybe I will try to explain you first what, what this difference is. Manipulators, there are all kinds of machines which are provided with a, a working head, like a, a gripper which can move in space, so be positioned or oriented by some means which are, which are remote from the, from the work head. At the beginning, uh, back to the 1950s, there you had some purely mechanical uh, manipulators, for example, the ones which were used in the nuclear industry to, to manipulate some radioactive materials in a, in a hot cell. Here you just have, a, let's say, a manipulator arm which is placed in a chamber. On, at the other side of the, the chamber, you have... a the master arm, which is guided by a, an operator, and by means of mechanical transmission, you can move the, the gripper inside the chamber to, to grip some radioactive material. So here you have a purely mechanical solution. But nowadays, the most uh, manipulators, they are actually industrial robots. So the, the kind of robots that you can see in, uh, in the car industry, for example. A lot of robots nowadays uh, cannot be considered as manipulators. Uh, if you consider a robotic vacuum cleaner, it's just a small autonomous vehicle which is moving on the floor of your apartment. So it, it has nothing to do with uh, manipulation of, of a tool or gripper in space. It's just cleaning your floor. Let's say not all robots are manipulators, but not all manipulators are robots. That's that's what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's the point. Okay. Yes, I remember talking about manipulators. I remember many years ago when I worked in the nuclear industry working with these manipulators that would actually separate the operator from horrible things like radioactive materials. And uh, these are just simply like uh, mechanical arms that an operator would use, but there was no intelligence at all involved with them at all. I remember also uh, talking about robots. Many years ago, the EPO had a conference in Prague. And in preparation from for this, a colleague from outside the office said that he looked up patents that were originating in the Czech Republic at that time. And he was remarked that there was a very large amount of patents associated with robots. And I remember that robot derives from a Czech word. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's quite a known fact in, uh, in robotics that the term robot was actually first used exactly 100 years ago by, by a, a Czech writer whose name was uh, Karel Čapek. And he used the, the term robot in his play, which is called uh, Rosum's Universal Robot. In Czech, the word robota, it means something like um, 
surf labor or drudgery. And it was uh, so selected by, by this writer to, to designate a kind of, of machine which can serve human people as kind of slaves. But the definition of the robot is also, of the word robot, is also a bit ill-defined. It's a bit like our definition of invention, which just says something that in, like involves a technical effect. And uh, the Engelberger's definition of robot is a bit like that. Yes, Joseph Engelberger was considered as the father of robotics. And he said himself, I cannot really define a robot, but I know one when I see one. Uh, so it's, it's a bit difficult to, to recognize what, what is a robot. And there is no real agreement between, ex, between experts nowadays. More or less, we can say a robot, it's a machine which can, by means of sensors, which can compute some collected data, which can physically act by kind of uh, actuators or motors and then which can uh, communicate its results to human people. So all these functions, they have to be, of course, performed with a certain level of com complexity. And this is the question to which level of, of complexity we considered all these functions. So you can imagine, let's say, in, in society, that robots should be there to help. And they could also take the place of, of humans in certain situations which are dangerous, which require strength that humans don't have, which also repeat, or let's say, carry out repetitive, boring tasks. So how would you categorize the different types of robots and manipulators? Well, basically, I would distinguish two big families of robots. The first one, they are the industrial robots, which are the, the robots we use uh, in the industry, so in big factories, to, to, for example, to manufacture a car. And on the other side, you have uh, what we call the service robots. And here we can also distinguish between the professional service robots and uh, domestic service robots. So an example of a professional service robot, it would be, for example, a medical or surgical robot or a robot for inspection or maintenance or this, what we call the IGV, so the automatic guided vehicle, which are used uh, in uh, logistic centers. You also have robots for agriculture, etc., etc. And then the, the, for the domestic service robots, of course, you have the, the vacuum cleaning robots, the cooking robots, some robots for entertainment, companion robots. So here you have plenty of different kind of robots. I've seen these examples of, uh, let's say, mechanical, electromechanical devices which augment uh, human capabilities. So uh, either help people with disabilities or dysfunctions or improve the strength, the capabilities of humans. These exoskeleton type things, would you say they were robots too? Yes, I would consider them as, as robots and even as manipulator because they, I mean, the, their, their structure on their... Their function, they are very, very similar to the one of, of uh, industrial manipulators. And uh, they are called normally uh, wearable robots. Yeah, it's, it's a big trend now to the, the very, very interesting developments in this technical field. And we see a lot of patent application concerning exoskeletons because, uh, of course, it's, it would be a very, very, a very nice solution for, for elderly people, disabled people to use this kind of machines to help them in their everyday life. I've been interested in robots ever since I was a kid. In fact, I remember one incident when I was a small boy that I wanted to buy a toy robot from the local toy shop. But my mum wouldn't let me buy it because it would have taken too much of my pocket money. But robots have made an influence on culture for a long time, even before I was a kid. Have you got any thoughts on that, Stefan? Uh, yes, Nigel. This is a very, a very interesting topic because I would say robotics is one of these uh, technical fields that, that people have imagined long before they could actually be built and uh, actually appeared in, in reality. 
So there, there were some stories, some myths, some legends already thousands of years ago concerning robots. And yeah, I, I don't exaggerate. Uh, if you know the Iliad from Homer, this ancient Greek writer, there are some passages where they, they mention machines which we would describe today as robots, which were built by uh, the god Hephaestus. And uh, in all cultures, everywhere in the world, you can see it also in India or in China, there are this kind of similar myths concerning very uh, clever and powerful machines. So they are holding the myth of Prometheus, I would say. It's the imagination of creating a machine which is as good as a human. So in the 20th century, the, the robots have uh, become really an integral part of pop culture. And you see in movies like Metropolis, Star Wars, of course, Terminator, Wall-E, etc. You all see very fascinating uh, robots. Um, but of course, very often they are involved in, in some dark stories or kind of dystopian stories. But I'm not so worried about uh, the fact that robots would uh, turn on their creators. And there are many fantasies there, but I think the reality is still quite far from this kind of dangers. So I, I remember seeing, a, it was a film some years ago, um, and it was called Short Circuit, uh, where a service robot, a very cute service robot, got an electrical shock and turned human. And so that robot showed emotion, actually fell in love with a little girl. You don't think that robots would have the potential to break uh, Asimov's laws or anything like that? For the moment, I don't see there would be this, this possibility technically. I mean, it's one of the big challenges in robotics. How can we give a robot some kind of soft skills? And there are many attempts for the moment to create some kind of, of artificial emotions or to create a robot which would mimic so well the human that you, you could have the feeling that they, they show some kind of empathy or humor, etc. But it's very difficult there because if you see... Uh, how long it takes for a child to, to develop these skills. It's very difficult to replicate them in terms of artificial intelligence to create some robots which, which would really be able to place a human being for, for this kind of skills. I see. So we're talking then about really the robot to person, robot to customer, robot to client type of interaction. Who are the big players in the business to business industrial robot sector? So for industrial robots, you have basically four big players, I would say. Two of them are Japanese. It's Fanuc and Yaskawa. And then you have the two which are more or less Europeans, uh, ABB, which is a Swiss-Swedish company. And then you have KUKA, which... Uh, is originally based in Germany, but it has now been taken over by a Chinese group. In terms of market, there are about 400,000 units of such industrial robots which are sold every year. So it's quite a, a big market, but it's, I would say it's stable. For the service robots, here you have a very big potential uh, of increasing in the, in the, in the market, and the, it's developing a lot. And in terms of the domestic robots, things that can help you with cleaning the house or tending the garden, you've got household names like uh, Husqvarna and Siemens and Bosch. Do you see many of those applicants uh, applications across your desk? Yes, we do. Although my field is really the field of manipulator for the moment. That means we only uh, treat a patent application which deals with a manipulator in this classical sense. And all invention which have to do with other kind of robots having very specific field of application like cleaning or low mowing, etc. They are uh, sent to, to the colleagues which deal uh, with, with the specific uh, technical field. So I wouldn't say that I've treated a lot of vacuum cleaning robots because most of time it's really about the cleaning itself or the technology for navigating into in the room 
And here we have some other technical teams which are more expert for these questions. Yeah, I can accept that some of the, the goods which I buy as a consumer, whether it's a car or domestic appliance or even clothes, might be made by robots. I don't have any worry about that. And I think as far as domestic robots are concerned, one thing I would really personally like to see is a robot that not only did the washing up, but actually would take the plates and knives and forks away, put them into the dishwasher, and then stack them when it's clean. And I think, personally, I did never like a robot that cut the lawn for me because I love mowing lawns. But uh, just a question for you, Stefan. Do you have any robots at home? No, I don't have any robots. No. I do the vacuum cleaning uh, by hand myself. <laughs> so I have a conventional vacuum cleaner. Uh, I mean, for, for other domestic applications, the robots are still quite expensive. I, and I think this is also a bit uh, of a challenge here for the for the industry to, to produce some domestic robots which are uh, multifunctional, so which can perform several tasks. Because for the moment, you have some very good solution for a very specific task. But people uh, don't want to pay, uh, let's say, ten thousand euro for a vac- thousand euro for a vacuum cleaning robot, etc. So yeah, there is a big challenge to find uh, some technical solution to create robots having a, a very uh, versatile profile, which so robots will truly uh, able to perform several of, of these tasks. And then, of course, it will be interesting to buy one if it can uh, do uh, many things uh, at home. (laughs) And um, just a final question, Stefan. Um, Do you think the present COVID crisis will drive the development of robots and manipulators in any particular direction? I'm just thinking of things like, I don't know, managing social distancing, things like this. I could imagine that there could be interesting solution for care robots, for, let's say, nurse robots, in the case where you have uh, some patients uh, being very contagious, as, as it is the case now with the COVID. So in a hospital, if you want to distribute drugs, etc., it would be uh, meaningful to send a, a nurse robot instead of a real nurse, because most the, the danger that the human nurse uh, get infected is, is quite high. I think that in, in Asia, in, in China and in Japan, there have been... Uh, quite a lot of efforts in this direction to, to develop care robots. But here we have, uh, once again, kind of psychological uh, effect uh, that in Europe, most of people uh, are not ready to accept to be treated by a robot nurse. Yeah, I think that's a difficulty which, which has to be overcome. But maybe this bad situation is going to drive some developments which are all to the good in the future anyway. Thank you, Stefan. It's been fascinating to talk to you. I've learned a lot. It's a really intriguing subject of yours. And yeah, I'd like to see how it goes on. Thank you very much. Subscribe to the European Patent Office's podcast channel, Talk Innovation at epo.org or on your favorite podcast platform. Let's Talk Innovation.